This is Getting Past Subtitles. I am Sean Peel. This is DK Lee. And welcome to week number five. That's right, we made it past the month. Yep. And into, well, we have another week, so it's going to hold on to your seatbelts. <laughs> We're almost through it. We're almost through it. We kind of spurred on this last one kind of at the last second last last week, but here we are. And I, you know, I will say, you know, thank you, Lee. I actually enjoyed this one. This was a good idea to do. Yeah. So last week, just to recap, we watched. What did we watch last week? Yojimbo. <laughs> Yojimbo. <laughs> it's, it's funny because you always forget. Right? Always, last like, week, brain fart. Like, like what, what happened last week? What did we watch? Yeah. So much happens during the week. I'm like, yeah. oh, what? Some other samurai movie. It's close enough. Now I watched Yojimbo. That was a good one. Um widely different from what we saw this week Mm -hmm. but it's funny because like i mean this is his last epic and it's um you kind of go into seven samurai which you watched before yojimbo so we took like a little break between the epic stories um but yeah so we are jumping now to 1985 and this week we did watch uh ran which translates to i think it means like chaos uh in japanese um and yeah, I mean, my first impressions was, again, like, I'm glad we did this one. This one was really excellently done. Um, it's the first time that we are including a color film from Akira in the series. Um, although it wasn't his first color. He did, like, two other color films before this. Um, but this is his last epic um, before, like, ever before he pretty much retires. And it's, like, it's great. Like, he definitely goes out with a bang. Like it's, yeah, definitely it's, this epic is it's epic. Be, yeah, <laughs> it's befitting of the term for sure. Um, but yeah, so why don't you tell us what your first impressions are? Kind of where you first experienced this. Um, I I remember watching it online. I just loved the colors that I saw in it, just like how vibrant it looked. Right. And so I watched it, and like it really just took me by storm because of how. Everything was portrayed and just the production design and and just the colors and how, like, well-produced it was. Yeah. And how, like, everything just kind of came together so well. Like, like there are there are other movies that are, you know, well-produced, obviously. But I feel mm-hmm. like this movie really came together with, like, production design, costume design, story, um, just, like, like framing like composition like cinematography all of that really right. came together in a way that just makes it so like awe-inspiring to watch i think every frame that i watch really makes me wonder like it makes me kind of jealous i'm like man <laughs> i wish i could make a, a frame like that a shot like that you know uh, so yeah yeah i mean when i i'm pretty sure because i watched this on amazon prime um if anybody that hasn't seen it first or white listening to this episode but um if it is available on Amazon Prime, if you're subscribed to it, um, and I, like I was telling Lee off air before, I feel like it was that version is <clears throat> maybe a restored version of it because it looks super smooth just frame wise, um, and it's I mean like color wise and imagery wise still looks like an old film, but it does have a bit of a pop to it that um, looks restored, but it is definitely beautiful and like it, it kind of looks like you shoot on like a film camera with like color film you know and then like the process comes out like that like the colors aren't like deeply saturated but they aren't like washed out they kind of feel like i don't know 
pastel-y almost in a way. They feel like painted. Like whenever I yeah. see the frames, they look like painted, like somebody painted on the cells, you know, for each one. It doesn't look real, right? It doesn't. It almost yeah. kind of feels otherworldly. Right. It, it definitely just feels like a moving painting or move, moving picture almost literally. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree to what you're saying, just the framing. Just some shots were like really like awe-inspiring and even just looking at it from a filmmaker's perspective just like to think wow like just to get that shot you know i mean i always go back to uh the when they're they open up the gate so they they seize the third castle that he was sitting in and it's like after everything and he uh he don't want to walks out and then it's like you get like the gate in the frame and then the castle is like burning on the top half and it's like all the troops below as he walks away and the red on one side and the yellow on the other side right right and it's just like and the, <laughs> the white guy just walking in the middle coming yeah. down from the castle and even that shot like when he's walking down like just through the like just the sim- symmetry of like that shot feels like something out of a Wes Anderson film you just you wonder know? like like what did it take to get that shot right right, right. <laughs> like just to get that castle to burn as like furiously and for as long as it did just like man and then all the extras yeah just coordination's crazy coordinating all that but even like you know because those i mean those shots are like really sort of in your face to be beautiful you know like you can clearly see like oh yeah i'm gonna have the sequence of the burning castle and you know it's just like it's gonna be epic but there are just other shots that are like amazing as well like we're talking about when um there's like two of the families are like gathered on these mountainsides and it's like uh uh jito's men versus like sobodo and they're like standing at the standstill and all you see is like those shots of like just these like little shadows of men like on the edge on of the, the hill ca- you know yeah, what i mean on the slope and it's like 2d almost like it feels like a painting and then you just see yeah. like the silhouettes of these people kind of going up and out it's really beautiful stuff yeah like his use of uh like composition there mm-hmm. especially with like the foreground with sabado in the in the middle in the top in the front yeah yeah and then the the little soldiers in the back in the slope uh-huh. and just kind of Using the colors too, where Sabro is blue and mm. and Jiro is red, right? And you right. see that in the foreground, and then in the background, you have those um, soldiers in the back. So it's like really, um, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, he makes good use. Like he knows what he's doing, and like, I mean, when you're working with, I don't know, was it recorded like fourteen, fourteen hundred extras and like two hundred horses that yeah. he had there, like to be able to coordinate and then you know separate them in a frame. So you know instantly, like, okay, this belongs to, like, Jito's side. Those are Sobudo's men, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really smart. Like, it, those are, like, small things to, like, really kind of, yeah. you know, carry your way through the narrative, um, per se. So, yeah, I mean, we can talk about, like, the action sequences later, but those are pretty great. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, going back to uh, Seven Samurai, like, it's shot, you know, he took the multi-cam kind of long shot, uh, strategy that he used for like the final sequence in Seven Samurai, and pretty much just used that for the entirety of basically Ron. cranked it to like two hundred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kind of funny because when I think of like telephoto and like the use of that kind of style, it's not like film, like cinema per se to me. Like it feels more documentary esque because there's like five close ups in the entire film. You know. They're all long shots. They're all telephoto. It's, everything is on wide. And it, it, you just don't get like the typical like it's cinema art kind of feel to it. But he uses what he had to an advantage to like make it feel that way. Like as the movie kind of progressed, you know, and just use 
wide to the best visibility and like really shot these grand-esque like action sequences um to a t as best as he could and it like feels necessary to like if you're gonna work on that scale like you you should just capture it all <laughs> i think it really comes down to his composition and his editing because mm. you know like you said sometimes having such a long lens and shooting it especially for battle scenes and stuff like that right it gets really hectic and it gets really compositionally it might not look as pretty sure. sometimes because mm. it's so shaky and sometimes you know you're not sure you're like you're trying to like pick up the horseman who's running right, who's right. riding and trying to like follow him with this long lens and it's not that easy yeah yeah but then because he also edits his own films he knows how he wants a shot to connect with another shot yeah and having those things come together mm-hmm. and also like composing that shot in in context of the bigger picture so right i think having that mindset is the reason why it looks so cinematic yeah no i agree because w- when you look at seven samurai in that last sequence it feels very like you know it feels composed but it's like okay i'm gonna take these three cameras you know shoot on a wide and telephoto but i'm only like my only goal is to just get all the action in one take you know so it's like I'm not really caring about framing composition too much. I just want to like shoot the action as it is happening and, you know, and all around encompassing. But here he he has that setup, but shoots it with intention. And I think that's the biggest difference. And he's like, okay, I want this shot. I want it to be composed like this rather than being like, I just want to shoot the action in its entirety and capture as much as I can rather than focusing on like, this is like the vision that I want, you know? He definitely learned a lot yeah. from you know his past works and i think it really shows in this film how he coordinates it and how he is able to capture these mm. amazing shots yeah so not to get too ahead of ourselves uh, but it's your turn this week bro yeah. <laughs> <laughs> since you want to dump an extra movie on our list <laughs> take responsibility <laughs> uh what exactly did we watch the story of ran is about this lord who has three sons and he's basically conquered pretty much like the land everywhere and he's getting pretty old so he wants to relinquish his power his lordship to his sons and kind of move into a more peaceful life and so he tells his sons hey i want to you know give you guys my power so i want to divide it up um, between you three mm. the first son and the second son they both are like very kind of happy about it and they're like yeah like we love you father like we're gonna you know respect you and do whatever you want and what you need us to do and they act really humble and they're like no but father like you can't give us the power we're, we're not worthy of that right. you're the great lord yeah like while they're talking um he's torah the lord basically um talks about an instance of what he wants the three sons to do is basically sure. he wants them to unify and come together as brothers and share the power together. And so he uses an analogy of it's very easy to break one arrow, but if you have a bundle of arrows, it's much harder. And so he gives you he gives that analogy in the sense of like you guys should also come together like like this bundle of arrows and rule the land. But then uh, the third son comes and he he basically he tries to break the arrows with just his hand right. but it doesn't work so he breaks it on his knee and then the father kind of gets mad because he feels like the third son is just playing with his words right sure he gets really mad at him and 
basically he feels like third son is you know acting out against the father so he basically banishes him from the land and there's one other guy um saburo the third son's servant named tango and he kind of comes to saburo's defense and says hey he's just saying this um because he's kind of blunt but he actually you know really cares for you father and he says that, but then the father won't listen, and he just basically banishes him. Both. You're banished too. He's like, and so, yeah, and so the first son named Taro um, gets the first castle, and then the second son named Jiro gets the second castle, and then the third son was supposed to get the third castle, but basically, since he's banished, he doesn't really get it. Mm. And so, um, after that, Taro has a wife named Kaibe. Mm. And she is very um, scheming and devious. But she also has a backstory where um, Hidetora, the father, basically destroyed their family and took over the castle. And the first castle that Taro is in charge of is basically uh, Kaida's family's castle that Hidetora took over. And so um, Kaida really has hate for Hidetora, the father. And so she wants... To basically banish Hidetora from the castle, mm. and so he kind, she kind of uh, talks to Taro and kind of, you know, devises a way to get rid of um, Hidetora, and Taro kind of helplessly just listens to her and and right. you know does what she says, and basically he's a pushover. <laughs> yeah, and basically uh, Taro makes the father sign this uh, document of like pledge mm. towards uh, giving all the authority to <laughs> Taro. Basically, when Hidetora gave the castle, he retained 30 samurai under his revenue mm. and he wanted to like live in the castles like as a guest between sure. the first son, second son, and third son. And that's how he kind of wanted to live. But then basically, he went to the first son's castle and he kind of wanted to stay there for a little longer. But because Taro and his wife um, schemed this thing. Uh, basically, he basically banished Hidetora. And Hidetora, after signing the the pledge, kind of felt insulted. Mm. And so he says, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to my <laughs> second son. You're not, you're not my only son. Sure. I have other sons to go to. <laughs> so he basically goes to the second son. But uh, the second son also hears that Hidetora is coming. But he is scheming with the first brother because right. he also kind of wants power. And he also kind of doesn't like the fact that just because he's a second son, he has to like, you <laughs> he's know. He's got middle child problems. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's got that, you know, inferiority complex. So he, he's like, just because I'm the second son doesn't mean that I have to like always obey my older brother. And so he devises a plan to kind of also get rid of um, his father, but also find a way to squirm towards power. <laughs> So, the throne. so yeah, he schemes with his older brother to basically banish the father. And even before basically Hidetora and, and his men come to the castle, he's kind of like, sorry, father, you can only come in by yourself. <laughs> if you right. come in with your, your uh, samurai, then, you know, we can't have you because right. you might be a little too dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, like basically after Hidetora signed the the contract giving absolute power to uh, Taro, Taro goes kind of behind his back and like declares that he's that Hidetora and his men are kind of like outcasts in a yeah. way, and that the reason why he banished him from his castle is because his men were like being rowdy and you know were threatening Taro's like authority. Yeah, and so Jiro kind of spins that 
uh, onto Hirotoro when he arrives and kind of tells him, like, well, only you're allowed in the castle because by decree of Taro, you know, your men are not allowed to be, yeah. um, you know, within his land or within his castles because Taro kind of owns everything as Basically, well. Basically, yeah. And so he's like, I'm only following orders as you want to do, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so after that, basically, Hidatora roams around the plains. Mm. And he kind of feels, basically, he feels betrayed. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, he, so he goes to a third castle where Sabra is supposed to be. Right. But basically, Sabra leaves the castle because he's no longer part of the plan. Yeah. He goes with his um, father-in-law named Fujimaki, mm. who... Is another uh, daimyo who was allies with Hidetora, mm. but then Fujimaki is from a farther land. Um, Saburo basically goes with Fujimaki and right. basically becomes his um, son-in-law. Meanwhile, Hidetora goes to a third castle and he basically tries to stay there. Mm. But then the first son and the second son stage an ambush and basically tries to kill the father and take over the castle and also take over the power, right? right. Once and for all. But during the battle... Um, Taro, the first son, gets shot by Jiro's like second in command, basically his right hand man uh-huh. named Kurogane, and he shoots him, shoots Taro, and he dies in battle. And meanwhile, while that's happening, Hidetora, because of the shock of what happened from the two sons basically betraying him, he basically becomes mad and goes mm-hmm. crazy, and he leaves the castle. And Jiro sees that his father is mad so he basically lets him go and lets him wander into the wilderness (laughs) basically i can't kill him he's my dad yeah and and the reason why they were able to take over the castle was because hidatora's two of his uh samurai basically betrayed him ikoma and uh, ogura was the two samurai that betrayed him Mm. after the siege um those two guys basically um, go to Jiro and try to like be like, "Hey, I'm part we, of your <laughs> side now." We give our lawyers. But then Jiro is now. like, "If you're gonna betray your master, then what? You know, maybe you might betray me too." So uh. he basically banishes them. So while you know, so they leave the castle and they're basically banished too. But um, while they're leaving, Tango, the servant, he finds Sidatora wandering around with his servant, who's also the Basically, he's kind of like the court jester. Sure. He's, he's the fool named Kyoame. And he is kind of helping Hidetora around the wilderness. And Tango, um, Saburo's you know, servant, finds Hidetora and tries to help him and tries to tell him, you know, Saburo still cares for you. Like, mm. he wants you back. But then, because Hidetora is so shocked and he's ashamed because of the fact that he basically told his third son to get out of my face Mm -hmm. he's like no i can't face him anymore and so he doesn't want to go with tango but while you know that's happening they see ikoma and um ogura Mm -hmm. leaving because they're banished and basically tango kills them because of their betrayal but before he does kill them he hears that um jiro is trying to send assassins to kill hidatora so uh, Tango is like, hey, I got to do something about this. So he goes um, to Saburo to um, tell him that, you know, Hidetora is in danger. And so while that's happening, Kiwame is like basically nursing Hidetora while he's like right. mad and crazy. And so um, they find this like little hut and <clears> they go to this little hut 
and they asked for help there because, you know, they're basically in the wilderness the whole time. And they go to this hut, but this hut is, um, there's this guy in the hut named Tsurumaru, and mm. he happens to be the brother of Jiro's wife. Yeah. Sue. Sue, yeah. And so, as you can, you know, imagine, because Hidatora used to take over all these castles, the second son's wife was also a victim of Hidatora's, you know, <laughs> castle taking. <laughs> War- warlordship. Warlordship, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, Surumaru had to um, basically exchange his life for his eyes. So basically, uh-huh. Hidatora told him, you know, if you want to live, I'm going to have to take your eyes out. You know, make sure that you can never... It's not funny, but... <laughs> you can never be a threat to my rule. Hidatora is now the the weak one. Yeah. And he's in need of help. And Tsurumaru is the one who's sheltering him. And while that's happening, Jiro, after Taro is dead, Kaede basically wants to figure out a way for her to live, right? Because Taro is dead. And so she goes to Jiro and basically seduces him. And they have an affair. And mm. she's like, hey, like I can't be number two. I need to be number <laughs> one. So I can't have Sue around. Uh, I need you to kill your wife. So sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, Jiro's like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> That's all. Like, he like, yeah, he's, he, he like, he's such he, a... He goes to like uh, Kuragane, which is his uh, vassal. <laughs> and Kuragane's like, are you crazy, bro? Yeah. <laughs> Even his own basketball is like, <laughs> dude, like, I ain't doing this. You gotta be a dummy. Yeah, he's like, dude, you are a tool. Like, <laughs> but then he's still, he always is still like loyal to them, though. I'm, I'm like so surprised. All right. But yeah, basically, uh, she kind of basically seduces Jiro and tries to make him kill the wife, but Kurogane refuses. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. Right. And so finally, Saburo comes to find Hidatora. Jiro hears the news that Saburo is here, so he, you know, brings his men because he's afraid that Saburo might attack. So he watches Saburo <clears throat> and makes sure that he isn't doing anything fishy because he knows that Saburo is here to find his father. And Jiro wants to kill the father, so he's watching Saburo to see if he knows where the father is. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so while they're like watching um, Saburo, Jiro basically says, hey, I'm not going to attack you. Just do your thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Go find the father. I'm not going to attack you, right? With, like, his entire army behind his back. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so, so Saburo's like, okay, um, fine, I'll do that. But then Sa- Saburo's kind of smart, and he knows that, like, mm. Jiro is kind of waiting to yeah. see what Saburo's going to do. So he tries to wait until nighttime to find his father, but then because of what happened, because he hears that Hidatora is missing, he goes to look for him mm. with Kyoame. And so Saburo goes off in a detachment and he goes looking for his father. But while that's happening, Jiro decides to attack Saburo's ar- army. Yeah. And so basically uh, Jiro attacks, but then um, Saburo's army, they are able to retaliate and basically rout um, Jiro's army by mm. being smarter and actually using the woods and you know <laughs> shooting them down with guns and stuff like that. And so um, while that's happening, Jiro is becoming even more and more um, pressured, and he realizes that Fujimaki has been also like watching <clears throat> over the battle, and yeah. um, he sends Ayabe to 
attack the first castle so that um, Jiro has to retreat back to the castle. Right. And so basically, Jiro, uh, you know, goes back to defend the castle while Saburo's army, um, you know, attacks from the back. Mm. And basically, that's where Jiro basically is like defending his castle and then he dies there. But, <laughs> but, um, while that's happening, Saburo finally finds his father and he takes his father and, and the father recognizes him and he kind of comes back out of mm-hmm. his madness. And then they're like going back to their own castle. Right. Happily ever after. <laughs> but then he... But pow! <laughs> yeah. He gets, he gets shot. Um, Saburo gets shot. Jiro sent an assassin to like shoot him. Yeah. And then he dies. The father is in shock again. <laughs> and he's like, oh no, how could this happen? And he goes mad again. And he basically dies um, with Saburo. <laughs> and while that's happening, in the castle, Kurogane is like trying to defend the castle, right? Yeah. And he realizes that there's this spider who comes with like this mm. um, package. And he's like, what is that? And he looks at it and he realizes it's Sue's head. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> oh, no. what is this? <laughs> who told you to do this? And he's like... He's like, uh, Kaede told me to go uh, assassinate Suede. Oh my god. While uh, Suede was running away. Yeah, because before then, Kurogane was the one that warned Suede to run away. Mm. And, you know, because he didn't want her to die. Mm. And so that's what he did. But then he sees, you know, this beheaded um, Suede. So he gets so mad that he goes into the castle and he basically kills Kaete mm-hmm. um, while Jiro is watching. And Jiro is such a, like, pushover. He doesn't do anything for anyone. You know what I mean? Dude. Just like, my wife dies, my wife dies. <laughs> you know, if my wife tells me to do something, you know, I do he, it. He's not good with relationships, okay? And basically, yeah, so basically Kurogane and Jiro, you know, they die um, in the castle by... Um, they basically just, yeah, they, yeah. They, they get sieged and it's kind of like foretold that they lose you know yeah. like it's, it's kind of known and so at the end basically um Saburo's men basically have a procession um for Saburo and right. uh, the father and they dun, you know dun, dun. they're like walking in, in the desert ish yeah, yeah. like barren land uh-huh. and and then um at the end you just see Surumaru um on the top I think it's like the castle like edge yeah, right yeah it's like one of the walls it ends with Surumaru there kind of alone him being blind and he brings and, up like the Buddhist uh painting thing yeah, or whatever like, and Sue, then, like, Sue gives him the uh, Buddhist painting as like a protection right thing. yeah yeah and then he kind of drops it as a and that's kind of like symbolic of like you know fall of grace yeah. kind of thing yeah but it, yeah it's such a beautiful like shot at the end too <laughs> just like him by himself in the lone lone castle wall. so like okay but then there's like a shot with once you know Suzue like um that the uh the soldier has Suzue's head and then there's like the two shot of like Suzue dead in the field and then there's another body there. That's um the helper woman, remember? Suzue's like um the woman that was helping Suzue and uh-huh. she's like, "Hey, like I'm going to go back and get the flute. You go on with Sumar." I don't remember that. <laughs> Because remember, like, Surumara is like, oh, I forgot my flute. I have to go get my flute. Remember that part? No. <laughs> Wait, where was that? When they're escaping, when, when Sue is like, Sue goes and finds Surumara and they're, like, escaping. Uh, oh, is that the, because, well, I, I thought the last scene with them was when Suzu is there and then this is, like, 
right before, or this is right after, um, um, Hidatora like runs off into the field, and then the fool is like trying to chase after him. And I guess she was like waiting or something, and she's like, "That's after. That's after. Yeah. So before that, before they arrive at the ruins of the castle." Well, Sudama was like, I forgot my food. I have to get my food. And Sue was like, no, you can't get your food right now. Like, we're, you have to run away. And then the woman is like, oh, I'll go get it. You guys go on ahead. And so Sue and Sudamaru <laughs> go the to the castle. I just don't remember seeing the woman. Oh, she's not like, important to the right, right. overall plot. So. But as, I don't remember seeing her, like, fleeing with Suzue. So that's why, uh, I, that's why I thought the second body was Sumeru. It was the brother. And I was no. like... Ooh, that sucks. And then he comes up in the end, and I was like, what? The ghost of Sudumaru. <laughs> I was, like, so lost. <laughs> I was so confused. I mean, I did stand to, like, go to the kitchen for a second, so maybe I just missed it. Mm. Gosh darn it. See, never... Just hit pause, guys. Yeah, there's a pause button, there's, bro. There's learn, a rewind button. Learn from my mistakes and just hit pause, okay? If it looks like a nothing scene, it's not a nothing scene. There's no nothing scene. There's no nothing scene. You should know that by now. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Uh, yeah, uh, the point being, there's a lot to take in, uh, in this movie. It kind of, um, branches out, like, in the narratives. Pretty much once the father is banished from, like, once he leaves the second castle out of Jiro's, the narrative kind of becomes a little more complex. Um, actually, no, like, really after the siege. After, uh, Hirotora goes mad and he leaves the third castle, that's when it plot the narrative kind of branches and it comes a lot more complex because then it's like jito is like political drama and then like because it's like another storyline with him and kaida right and then like yeah. the whole suzue thing like that's a whole bit thing and then you're like watching that in parallel to what's happening with hidatora like what's he doing right now yeah in the plains right yeah in the plains and then he finds the old castle and then he stumbles upon Tsunamaru. and then like then there's that whole bit with like like oh the past and like his war crimes kind yeah. of thing you know so it kind of becomes complex in that sense um but that's what i really favored though i actually like i think that's why i was really drawn to the movie because it was a lot more narratively complex i mean this is this is a very heavily inspired by king lear it's kind of basically an adaption as someone who hasn't like read king lear or is familiar with it i mean it's very like shakespearean like if you watch this movie um, and it has a lot of those qualities. And I think that's why I like it, because it's kind of like, you know, a complex of plots and like relationships and these sort of political kind of deceits and uh, things like that. Rather than like if you're ta- watching like Seven Samurai, it's more of like action-y kind of. And it's not too heavy on the narratives of the character, but more of like, you know, like more singular where this feels like more separate. It's complex, but it's also very well woven together. Hundred percent, yeah. Right, it, it's, like, it's not confusing. Right, it, it comes together by the end. Like it, yeah. the web really uh, centers out. Mm. I mean, I think that's why it's like so great because by the end, like it it pays off kind of everything. Yeah. Um, and in a way, like in the midst of the chaos, and it really kind of adds to like that chaotic kind of like traumatic feeling, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the brilliance of the coloring too. Yeah. The color in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the way that you are able to understand who Sue just from color mm. really makes it like a godsend for understanding the movie <laughs> right. and the different plot points and different characters and who they are and right. what they're doing and what they're trying to do. Yeah, right? yeah. Because especially like because there's like there's basically like three different groups because like there's three different brothers. And if you add Hidatori, that's another group. So exactly. Yeah. 
So like that's why we were talking about identifying with the flag colors, like yeah. yellow, red, and then blue. Yeah. It's so easy. And then like also white and then kind of Fida Tota is kind of an outcast, like none of his men have banners, you know? Mm-hmm. It's easy to be like this faction, this faction, this faction. Yeah. Can you imagine watching this without color? Right, exactly. Like, like thinking about that in that respect, it really makes the use of color in this really ingenious. Mm. That's why it's like the difference. It's that you can interweave like more parties rather than like a 1v1 kind of setting in that way. And it feels natural too. It doesn't feel like mm. at a place that these colors would be there. Like right. in one sense, like the colors feel very like otherworldly, like sure. we talked about just the colors itself. But like being able to like see it and thinking about this as, like you said, kind of like a mm. Shakespearean story, it almost feels like, like yeah. this is maybe like a bard would be telling sure, sure. like these people, you know, it's in like the Shakespearean times, yeah, right? like a legend, yeah, <laughs> really gives you that kind of feeling by the use of colors. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely like it feels naturalistic, and I don't know what how to say, like an just an artistry kind of like color to it. But this feels very naturalistic, and like you know, grass is green and the sky is blue, and like the armor is like you know everything is like purposeful. Yeah. But it feels uh, very like it heightens the the scene like like it's like embedded it in the in the like production design right like in the world of it's it it's not it's not like it's not like after effects right it's not like an added color yeah, yeah. effect to it's the movie it's embedded in the in the right right in the design of the clothing the costume mm. the world yeah and i i love the contrast between the the like living world like the ground the grass yeah, yeah. the sky and the almost barren looking like gray and the blackness mm. of of the land in comparison with the colors of the people and the what they're wearing and the armor and the and the flags and the banners and that contrast between the bleakness of that and mm. the colorful vibrance of of the costume really kind of adds this interesting contrast mm. between the two yeah it's cool like even just in the setting you know if you watch like the first 30 minutes there it basically takes place in the mountainous fields right where they they go hunting and then they have kind of like this group feast of a lunch together yeah. and it's like it's very colorful like very lots of greens lots of blues because it's like just straight grass and them and then lots of like the yellow because of the banners and like everybody's wardrobe and costumes kind of pop out um but then you know you go on and the battle scenes are like super gray like super dirty super brown as like this setting of just the castle like the wood is very gray and like things are burning so there's like a lot of fire like it yeah. all like becomes more darker and like it really sets the tone to it that. feels like almost like the soldiers are like painting right the the canvas <laughs> of the black like yeah, into yeah. like yellow and red uh-huh. and blue and it really like makes it almost like a painting yeah and then the blood. I mean, it's kind of funny to see the blood. It looks, yeah. It looks so, like, pink. <laughs> it looks so fake, but it also feels very, like, artistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bodies are, like, gray, too. Like, they're, mm. like, super gray. Like, the, the bodies there. Yeah. They're very, like, zombie-like. And even even um, Hidatora's uh, makeup, as he gets even more and more mad. Right. It really kind of feels... He gets grayer. Like Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He kind of starts off like orangey and yeah. then like he really he loses his uh <laughs> life <laughs> really like through the makeup you can feel uh yeah how he like really loses his sanity mm. that's a very good point um yeah i mean what is like some of your favorite narrative beats or scenes in the film narrative beats i really actually liked when kaede is uh seducing chiro the <laughs> oh, first yeah. time yeah when she like takes out the knife and then like 
basically. It was such a tonal shift in the film. Yeah. I like it really re-grabs your attention. It really does. And and just the way that they like blocked it and Mm. and the way that Kaede really like Oh yeah. She's just crazy. She like feels like a crazy person Uh at that moment. And how she like first threatens him and then she like cuts his neck a little bit and then she later on when she's seducing and she like licks his neck and yeah. like blood off and you're just like damn so this girl is crazy so snake like so yeah like, like and 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 i love that moment when like basically they're having like you know uh, they're going at it and then he kicks the uh, helmet to mm. the side and like falls to the side and, and you can see the reflection of the light yeah i love that moment when he kicks the Helmet. It just kind of cements that that symbolic, like right. like kicking off <laughs> Taro to the side kind of moment. So like it really, I felt like was a beautiful scene. Yeah, no, like the blocking was amazing. It's one of the. It's really like the only scene that you get that is not like in the long, very wide, uh, you know, cinematography that you watch for pretty much the entire film. Like everything is pretty close. And it's also because, like, it's in a closed room. But I love, like, the... She, like, closes the... Yeah, yeah. I love that part. I love when she's, like... She's having a speech. And then while she's saying it, she's, like, like, flawlessly and seemingly, like, moving throughout each wall. Like a snake. Slowly, like... (laughs) And it's, like... I don't know. Like, she just hits the cue so well. She just, like, smoothly closes it without, like, being too aware of it, you know? Like, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear what she's doing. But at the same time, she's doing it with such finesse that it's like... She's like uh, a snake, like, going around her prey. Like, slowly just, like, wrapping (laughs) around. And, like, you know she's going to, like... As soon as she closes the last door, she, like, fucking loses it. Like, she just goes full-on crazy, you know? It's a beautiful scene. Yeah, I think... I mean, really, the whole, like, Kaida arc is probably my favorite, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, between, like, her... I mean, just her performance, like I said, it's it's such a tonal shift from, like, what we watch that it, like, really grabs your attention. And you're like, whoa, there's a lot of personality in this movie now. Um, but then just, like, even, like, everything after that scene with her is awesome. Just, like, the deception that, like, oh, uh, you know, she's... Everybody has, like... There's a lot of themes you can pull of, like, selfishness, right? And, like, everybody has a greed for power. Right. And her kind of thing is just, like, basically revenge. And everything that she's doing is basically just for revenge on like um Hirotora and like basically his entire family for what they did to her family um but she's like crazy and like everything that happened like I love that I I think my favorite scene is afterward when so she tells him to go kill Sue his first wife and then Kurogane, Kurogane he tells Kurogane to like do it and, and he's like back. you're crazy and then then it's like he walks in and he finds out that the wife knows. So then when he actually does it, he brings her the head. And it turns out to be like the statue of a fox, fox head, statue, yeah. Like with salt. And she's like, What is this? She's like, You trying to play for a fool? And he's like, oh, What? Oh, <laughs> That's she turned fox. into a she's fox. She turned into a fox? <laughs> I didn't know. And he's like playing like such like an idiot, you know? But he's like clearly like making a speech of just like an allegory of like telling of like Sometimes, you know, there's legends of a fox. Yeah, 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 like Like the fox lady. Sometimes seducing men mm, into doing chaotic things. Yeah, turn into a woman and like often like, you know, does that. And then he's like very clearly uh, telling about Kaida. Talking to Jito like, like watch your step, bro. Like she's crazy, crazy, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just love that scene for everything that it is. Yeah. Yeah, And it's just everything going forward. And then like 
she goes behind his back eventually and then like right at the climax like at the end once like the castle is being seized like in the middle of the chaos in the battle uh he gets like the head and he's like whose head does this belong to and then you see like the cloth that suzo has and it's like oh what happened because it kind of comes out of nowhere like i mean i didn't cat like right. there's not a scene before that that has kaida sending off like a soldier yeah to kill her you just like get that moment out of nowhere like oh she actually like just this like rider coming into the castle and she, he's like holding something yeah yeah like, like and what you know that? what it is like automatically like, yeah exactly you're like you know what it is but then you're just like oh shoot things are going to go <laughs> down things are gonna happen like what's going on and it's just like yeah like every like once that scene happens just like the chaos and like the like the tragedy is dialed up to like a 10 and then he like without remorse goes up to the castle and like kills her on the spot you know you know as soon as you see swear like her being so like nice and kind uh, that she's yeah. going to be dead <laughs> you know she's gonna die victim character right there like you're anybody that has a good heart like <laughs> god you know she's gonna die <laughs> yeah and even like uh he when he's like you know when he first goes to the second castle he goes to sway and he's like she's known to be this very kind you know forgiving person and he's like i'd rather you hate me yeah than you know continually have this like sad personality and not have a grudge against me such a sweet person no she gonna die <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just that last scene where like kind of get like he just cuts her down on the spot i was yeah. like this is great like that's the retribution i wanted <laughs> yeah it was just everything about that bit was awesome yeah definitely my favorite um yeah but there's like you know the movie kind of follows that just like kind of branching out doing that then there's like um he told his like past kind of reaching back to him and it's like you know everything that wrong that he did is kind of like catching up to the present mm-hmm. you know he walks into the old castle and he's like where am i and he finds out like it's the castle he burned down and yeah. sudamato is like living there and then like suzume kind of joins him so like all these things are kind of going back to him i really like the contrast between sue and kaede too mm. the kaede is basically the embodiment of revenge, right? Exactly. And Sue is basically the embodiment of forgiveness mm. and forgiving the past and moving on. Yeah. And Surumaru is basically in the middle of that. Right, right. And at the end, you know, we we see Surumaru like alone on mm. the castle wall with the Buddha. He dropped the Buddha painting and yeah, yeah. we were kind of wondering what kind of uh, choice would he make right? <laughs> after all this has gone. Uh-huh. And I think that's a really beautiful shot to kind of end on mm. and, a, and a kind of message for us too i think mm. as viewers kind of wondering okay like we can take the path of of kaibe of revenge or uh-huh. we can take the path of sue yeah and and i think that's a poignant way of putting this whole story <laughs> yeah into one shot mm. yeah i mean i just love the endings i mean just like again kind of the, the movie goes off on this tangent and really uh you know ties together at the end with all the kind of loose ends um being brought together by the end kind of like you know nobody wins in the story right like everybody like either dies or just like fails um just like the worst things happen you know like kaide wins well everybody's like, dead everybody's you know, dead like, right everyone, yeah. no no one's alive like, <laughs> but it's like you know you're never rooting for kaide because all she wanted is revenge and like 
to have the castle burn and everybody in it. And like she wins in that sense, but it's like right. not great. All the sons die. The king dies. But you could also you know? feel for Kylie because, you know, you realize that, you know, Lady Hidatora took over and right. murdered um, her family and everything. But so you like understand right her, mm. but then you're also like, dang, she crazy. <laughs> but then you got Suzu away. It was mm. like, that seems like a better way to go about it. Mm, yeah. Anything else? Any other favorite bits? Like the battle scenes, the formations, and the way right. that he just blocked and placed his extras and, mm. and the colors and the framing of like the slopes and the armies coming together and right. and all of those different things that really make it feel epic. Yeah, like I maybe we could talk about some of the shots. Yeah, I mean, like we could we could talk about the like the the siege of the third castle when they basically try they kill all uh Hiratora's men like it's kind of a trap right yeah um basically it's supposed to be Soboru's castle but Soboru's banished and he goes with Fujimaki his father-in-law and kind yeah. of you know goes with him and then all of Sa- all of the men that are supposed to be with Saburo are still in the castle but then they leave the castle to regroup with Fujimaki because that's where he is and yeah, so where Saburo is where so, Saburo yeah. is so in a place, um, Hidemura and his men occupy the third castle. And then Jiro and Taro use it as an opportunity to just get rid of their father entirely, yeah. you know? And that's what happens. And they, they kill all of his men. And they're hoping that Hidemura commits uh, seppuku, which is just uh, suicide, essentially. Um, but he doesn't have a sword or a knife around. Oh, yeah. And he just, just falls into, like, madness along the way and then kind of banishes himself in a way. He just, yeah. like, wanders away like a crazy old man. But like that scene, um, the battle is, I think I really find out the battles are a little drawn out, but not too drawn out. And I mean, there's not a lot of like dialogue. It's very, I mean, everything that you see, you understand. Like it's, I I noticed that you kind of see the narrative kind of progressing and the story progressing through the action and like only through the action. Like he, he really knows how to like um pro- tell the story through the right. pictures progress right? the story through yeah. like what you're seeing you know like oh they go into the castle or they're seizing it they make their way closer into the castle you know they, they you know they start off with the ground men then they yeah. go up into the castle and it's like the final frontier kind of thing and they're like held up in the the final room yeah. and there's like a drawn out like stalemate fight between like five guys shooting outside of a little window and like yeah. an entire army outside of the castle and then like and Hidemoto just sitting at the top room, like I'm fucked. <laughs> like yeah. you know what I mean. And just like the flames, like going through yeah, the yeah. castle. And it's like these near misses that he's like mm. almost dying from, like these straight arrows reaching the mm. room. Um, and just like all this, you know, this kind of storytelling is is just being done is being done through the action, just yeah. like straight visuals, you know. Especially like that moment that you talk about with the sword, mm. where like he first. You know, he the Toriel first like fights with the sword and the sword breaks. <laughs> and so he goes into a castle. Yeah, yeah. And like he goes all the way up to the very top and he's kind of like med- almost meditating up there and mm. he's like, Okay, I'm gonna kill myself. Right. And then he's like looking for a sword. <laughs> and like he looks at he looks at his scabbard, he's like, There's no sword here. He like goes look looking into a chest and there's no sword there. Like nothing. He's trying to find something, some way to kill himself and he just can't. And basically he goes crazy like all of that done with no dialogue. Exactly, you know? yeah. You just see it unfolding like as it is. Yeah. Even even until, you know, he comes out of yeah, the exactly. castle. Like he just there's no dialogue there. You just watch this guy who's like in madness and he just walks out and goes mm. out into the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, like nobody takes any action, right? Like nobody yeah. nobody like kills him, nobody they just all like 
watch and kind of like all as he wanders away and makes his way out of the castle. Yeah, yeah that really shot really is something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he walks down, it's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, even it is the same with the last battle between uh, Jiro's army and like Saburo's men. And like, all like Fujimaki doesn't do anything and like the, there's decoys in the other mountains of Ayabe's men and they're just like watching and mm-hmm. I, love, I love how they cheer at the end yeah for, like the victory oh that's so funny but Wait. like uh, one point with the um with the going in the castle the burning castle it almost looks like Kitatora walking down to the depths of hell you uh-huh. know, like because like the burning castle <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then the red and the yellow and then all the the soldiers the in the bottom and he's like walking down yeah yeah okay. yeah I mean like I said like I said the color is like it's very gray. Yeah, like that whole scene. It's it's but the, not... yeah, like the land is all gray and like almost black. Like almost right. feels like a volcanic Erupting. world. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's very not not nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even in the third, like the third battle, when uh, Jiro advances and it like, there's like a lot of anticipation that they're gonna break out into war. Yeah, and they're kind of like advising to avoid war yeah, yeah, and just yeah. let you know Sabato do his thing. But Jiro. It's kind of like too arrogant and launches an attack anyway. Mm-hmm. And like that whole fight scene on that field, like it's strategic, like the fight, and you see it unfolding of like what's happening yeah. without having it to be explained to you. Just like Judo's men are kind of like, you know, going straight on. And then, you know, the uh, Sabudu's men retreat to the forest and are using their like uh, gunmen um, to their advantage and shooting down the men on the horses. Yeah. And they're just like dwindling their men and their um and their horsemen up until they can advance themselves and like you just watch that entire scene like unfold yeah. just through the action you know what i mean so it's kind of cool that you can see like a little bit of a complex like strategic strategic fight without having it to be explicitly like said to you yeah. you know what i mean um I, like just that was pretty cool and then up until like oh yeah your your castles are being sieged by the way so yeah, and there's, anyway. there was a shot where I forget exactly which moment it was, but like these horsemen like mm. run all the way towards like a cliff, and you you have a wide of like the horsemen on the cliff. Mm. It's such a beautiful shot. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that a lot of the wide shots that he uses like that beautiful. I think like just seeing almost the silhouettes of the horsemen. Yeah, yeah, and like they're at the cliff. It's a really wide shot. It feel it feels very two dimensional. Like yeah, and it, it it's weird to say like there's you don't. Like you, you, I mean, when you see them walking, it's like, okay, they're like really far just mm-hmm. from like perspective wise, but like, it's so, it's so like framed in a way that it, you know, it feels like a painting of a wall back there. Right. And then like the actual set is kind of like in the foreground. Right. Interesting enough. Hey, it might be because he uses telephoto Probably. Like, lenses. That's why like the characters themselves don't look that small. Right. Because he uses telephoto lenses, mm. but then like. They're far away. Yeah. <laughs> so you get that like feeling of like somebody who's drawn like these characters. Right, right. Like, They're like little animations. Right, right, right. Something. Little people that he, like some painter has like put mm. on the canvas. Right. I mean, it feels very like Wes Anderson-y. I, I, I don't right. know if he's intentionally doing all of it. He probably is, obviously. But, <laughs> but like it really comes through with, with what he's doing, you know? Like yeah, it yeah. really feels that way. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if like, because it's funny where i know that the castle siege the third the third castle siege like that castle wasn't a miniature that was a real set built i read like on the side of mount fuji or something mm. that they like burned down essentially but i wonder like how many other stuff were like miniatures and that kind of how you incorporated it yeah 
pretty interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, the battle sequences are really cool. Dude, those stuntmen, like, those people, like, falling off the horses, there bro. Was, there was one guy who I was kind of scared for because yeah, yeah. there's a scene where the horses are coming coming through. Yeah. And he gets hit by the horse. Yeah, I He falls down. And then all the, the horses whole, are coming. It's like a stampede, like, And right they literally him. walk over yeah. the guy. Yeah. And I'm like, dude. I, was, I literally, the same thing. I thought, no way. I was like. Maybe that was just, like, a dummy. How, but how, <laughs> how do you interweave that cut from, like, the guy? I don't know. Like, he was clearly, like. Dude, uh, uh, I'm uh, like. Uh, he was, like, bobbing a weave. That guy, like, man. I mean, like, you could see, like, he took the hit, like, purposely. Yeah. You can tell. But I was like. But okay. after that. But after he that. He falls on the ground. Just horsemen are coming. Yeah, there's like 20 horses behind and, him. And literally, one horse like walks over him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that would never be me. That would never be Dude. me. But like, even like, not only that, like the last battle scene, I mean, there's just continuous shots of people like just falling off the horses. Yeah. But there's like a stampede behind them. Like, they, they all, they're all like ducking yeah. and covering, like, hand over the. I, I love the moment when the Red Army, they're mm-hmm. basically running away because they're getting routed right yeah yeah and the banner holders the flag holders they like all drop drop it it. (laughs) while they're running they're like screw this and they're all like tripping inside the thing (laughs) Uh, i bet the extras are like i can't run in this costume it's too heavy yeah i mean it's definitely a movie that when you watch it you like it's clearly an epic and when you watch it you're like just wow just like the scale of it like all those people in one frame, like all moving in like coordination, yeah. and kind of just like, man, like that shot when they're like seizing the castle and they're about to open up the gates, and they like kill all these men outside of the gate, and there's like fifty men and they like all carry the dead bodies out of yeah. the way in order to open it, just like that coordination of them like that's very like military like you know yeah. it, it's very astonishing to kind of see it all even even when uh jiro's army and uh Saburu's army are mm. like at a standstill and finally like jiro tells them to attack yeah and uh the infantry like they start like moving towards the front mm. they all like rush through <laughs> yeah it's just a beautiful like coordination there all of these men like being coordinated and while that's happening you see fujimaki's like yeah. army on the top like they start coming yeah. through with ayabe and it's then... like a looming threat like you get a, you you understand like the um, situation that jiro is in from the get-go right and, and that... how like one move can like start this like all-out war <laughs> exactly like it's funny to know you know in the story there it's simply you know, Sabato just wants to get dad and you know, he doesn't want any qualms about it. You know, it's like, let's not, you know, this could start a war. But both of them show up with like every, their entire army at the yeah. side, you know. And Sabato is like, oh, uh, Fuji, you know, Fujiaki and uh, Fujimaki and Ayabe are at the the uh, the mountains watching. And he's like, but I'm afraid it's a little too threatening. Mm, yeah. And he's like. And then Kinda Fujimaki is like, oh, it's okay, I'm just going to stay yeah, here. Yeah, just watching, it's fine, you know? Yeah. And they never take any action because, like, you know, Sabura's men kind of have it. But you understand any wrong step, any yeah. wrong move. I mean, he's, like, pinched in uh, Jiro. So, you know what I mean? You understand, like, it's a losing battle from the get-go. Mm. kind of get that sense. Which is why Kurogan is also, like, it's like, probably it, a bad idea exactly. to fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kurogan's like, well, you see that? You see that? It's not good, bro. Yeah, and then he tells, like, because then before that, he, I mean, he messes up anyway. Uh, Subodo, uh, Subodo and, like, 10 guys go to look for the dad because the fool, 
he's like with him and then he loses him in the field when he runs off yeah. and then they have to go look for them anyway instead of waiting to nightfall and then judo's like uh a few guys go ahead and like follow them and i'll give a war to anybody that assassinate him and like after that it's like full-on war like obviously yeah. you know but yeah i mean overall a really great film um it's my new number one yeah me too i uh, what what <laughs> poor ikiru no i think ikiru still stands as <laughs> narratively i think it's it's sure for me i think it's, it's a more human story yeah it's, it's a more like it's easier to connect with ikiru right whereas i think ran is really just shows the just like masterful the yeah like the magnificence of like film yeah. and like cinema and mm. just like what you can do it, with... it it just really is like everything that was like wrong with seven samurai or not even wrong just like lacking just find like re- like redeemed and like just dialed up to 100 yeah, I, th- I think it's more like he like fine-tuned everything he wanted from seven samurai right, just, like right turn it up to 200 you know uh-huh. like he just I mean, cranked it up like epic filmmaking it's kind of this thing in like this you know the samurai kind of epic genre and this movie is really a cultivation of just everything that he's like learned and everything that he's done um and then putting it in color and like using that sense great you know what i mean and you know you know one thing that i really like about kurosawa in terms of the way that he shoots Mm -hmm. um battles is like when you watch other war films a lot of times they are very close to the action like they go really really into the action like with the people Mm -hmm. and sometimes like we kind of mentioned before it, it makes it harder for us to understand the full picture of like what's going around in the war like like right. the actual maneuvers and the formations of what's happening mm. but kurosawa really likes to bring us kind of further back and see the whole thing right right i really appreciate that because it really allows the viewer to see the whole thing mm. and i think that's something that a lot of recent war movies are more reluctant to do sure like they I don't know if it's because it requires more special effects or it requires more, you know. <laughs> sure. Because sure. especially like um, modern war movies, it's a lot more like stuff flying and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. it might be a little bit harder to do. It, it, because when you show something in a wide shot, it means that you're not hiding anything, right? Right. Because when you're showing something close, it's you can just cut away from it and you can cut to something else. Uh-huh. When you have that wide, you you can't fake that. So I think that really gives the viewer... A sense of like, wow, this is actually going on, you know? Like, mm. that's why I feel so much awe when I see, like, these thousands of soldiers just, like, moving from one place to another. And, like, yeah, yeah. when they're sieging and when they're moving and all that seems more, you know, awe-inspiring because I know that it's real, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, when I see a war movie and when I see, like, these cuts happening, I'm just like, yeah, they could have used the same extras, like, <laughs> 15 different times. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you get a, it's a different sense. And, and it's I think sly, that, like, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that feeling of an epic film, mm-hmm. like you really get that out of having these wide shots like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, visually it just having wide and kind of portraying the action like that really is what makes an epic, an epic, right. you know? Um, but I think he, it, it, you have to do it in like, in line with storytelling. I think if you're telling like a very personal story about you know in a narrative um 
that is like attached to one or two people you know you're always following that character within a backdrop of war so it like doesn't really matter like the war itself like yeah. i'm thinking of like no, no, i agree yeah like teguki right yeah like it's really about those two brothers that go to war and it's not about the war itself it's really about these two brothers and their yeah. journey in it so yeah exactly so th- i wouldn't call that like an epic sure right? sure sure in the same sense that this movie is an epic mm-hmm. so like yeah i think i think like being able to show that really yeah kind of makes it that yeah and I, like with this movie like vice versa though it's it's about like these brothers and like these characters but it's it's an epic you can like show it in an epic because it's about their choices and like the cause and effect and like the result and how of that it. affects exactly yeah. and like it's you know the aftermath and the results that happen from what they do and who they backstab you know is grandiose and like we see that oh i have an entire army now siege my father you know it's like i now have this army versus my brother's army you know we see that battle like we just yeah. see sort of like the grandiose aspects of it um, but yeah, I mean, it takes a lot. Like, it definitely like in terms of like cost and like you know just to do it, it takes a lot. Um, but it would be nice to see more of it. You know, so kind of appreciate that. I'm thinking about like even like I don't know if you've seen Dunkirk, a uh, Christopher Nolan's film. Yeah, I saw, did you I saw, see it? Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it kind of like is a multi narrative, but like, like even that would have been cool. You know what I mean? Like even like 1917. I, I mean, like there are scenes, there are shots in Dunkirk where yeah. you're just like, "Wow, that's crazy!" Like, mm. Especially when um, the soldiers are on that bridge. You oh just yeah, have that yeah. wide shot of just seeing them all on that bridge. Mm. Or like that shot where like the bombs are falling like one by one, yeah. And then you see the guy in the foreground like ducking. <laughs> I mean, even 1917 has some shots near the end. Near the when, end, yeah. But that's also see. more like personal. Yeah, following just that one person. Yeah, so. It could be a tricky thing. I can see it being a tricky thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's important to get characters. It's important to, like, get relationships. But then if you want to do, like, sort of these epic battles, it's right. it's kind of like... Di- it's like a, a different area. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, let me just, like, kind of expound upon it a little uh, bit more. But, like, what I like so much about Kurosawa is that those epic moments mm-hmm. also serve the story. 100%. You know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. what I really like about yeah, it. Yeah. Where I feel like... It also, it, that's why it feels like it works so well. Whereas, like, other films, it's more about, like, the action. Right, right. I think that's what it is. Mm. Yeah, and, like, to your point, like, we care about the characters. Right. Like, you know, with Seven Samurai, all seven of those samurai are, like, matter in a way. Like, we, you got the time to spend with them, yeah. to know each one. And, like, you know, you, you really attach to them in a yeah. way and, like, fear for their life when the actual battle happens. And, like, the battle scene is kind of is epic in a way. But because of those characters that are in it, like, the stakes are there. Yeah. And the same is kind of, you know, applied here as well, where you, you understand sort of each character and you're, like... Well, like you said, like you mentioned, like, the army is basically the embodiment of these of characters, person, right? right? Like, when you, when you see Jito's army, like... When you see Red... That, that's judo right. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, like exactly. when you see yellow it's it's taro you yeah, know like yeah. when you see sabro it's blue like, uh-huh. like they are the colors and the army is the embodiment of these characters and the commands that they fold these soldiers hard thing to do but <laughs> i think all works out so before we wrap up i mean i don't have anything to nitpick i think this is a great film aren't and you glad they... we decided to do this <laughs> I'll admit, I'll admit, this was a really good one. I mean, I, I will say to the point, um, this is our, our fifth out of six, so the next one will be our last. I'm continuously impressed by Kitasawa, by how 
like up the ante he takes it with each movie that we've watched you know and he continuously like gets better um pretty clearly um i mean we we're going through like he has a lot of movies under his belt that we haven't seen obviously um but we're kind of like watching the very important ones like the very key ones that he's known for and each one is clearly progressed from the next and also like the versatility right like yeah 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 going from like sanchez sugata uh-huh to like ikiru like yeah. they're so different from each other also In from addition. like seven samurai right like even ran like with comparison with seven samurai like they're similar but they're also very very different, different right so there's like i mean like ran is super shakespearean like mm-hmm. it's it's very like theater-esque especially in their performances yeah. um in the lines of dialogue and that adds to like the epic kind of storytelling that it is where seven samurai is more just like entertaining in a way like it's very kind of like it's not as dramatic as this movie yeah. um has a lot of comedy kind of backdrop um and it's like a mix of it's a genres. little more personal right a little bit right whereas right. ron kind of feels more like mm. almost kind of distant, know, in distant in a way yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels more like stage. Like it does, it definitely does have like a stage play element to mm-hmm. it, um, versus uh, Seven Samurai. And like again, like Yojimbo is also a very different movie from everything. Um, and it's why I mean, like even though they're you know in the samurai age, sort of like in this era, they are very different storytelling, very different kind of genres within it. So I agree. Like it's it's a very um, there's so much variety within it. I mean, in our next one, Madadayo is, is a modern film. Like, it's... Well, yeah, like, I'm just always... Like, what you mentioned, like, just how much he's improving film mm-hmm. by film. Yeah. And, like, you know, we're, we're like, jumping swaths of years. <laughs> yeah, we're, like, but decade to decade. Like, you almost. can tell, like, things are happening and, like, his, his improvement mm-hmm. in, like, different yeah. um, parts of filmmaking. Like I said, like it's very clear if you watch, just watch Seven, Seven Samurai, and then uh, Ren, like from one to the next, because it's 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 like comparable or like compatible in a way, like in a filmmaking pers- perspective, just like the techniques and the things that he used and kind of discovered and um, you know like almost invented from Seven Samurai is like just dialed way up for Ren. But yeah, let's move on for next week. Will be the last. In his last film, Madadayo, uh, in 1993. I think that's when he did it. Yeah, I think so. Um, God, how old is he there? He he was 75 when he did this movie, mm. which was 1985. So that's almost 10 years, 7 years. Uh, so what is that? Like, he's 80, 82 or something? I think yes. so. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Can you imagine shooting a movie in your 80s? <laughs> I don't know if I'd have, like... <laughs> The energy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. Filmmaking makes you young. <laughs> Even just, like, you know, the, the have the capacity of, like, creativity to carry it on for that long. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so Madadayo should be very different. It is a modern film with a modern sort of back, backdrop. I'm trying to figure out where people can see this. Great Tyrion collection. I, like his, all of his movies are on there. I know you can rent it or buy it from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So we will see you next week. Mother Thanks for tuning in. Peace. Bye.